Today on Training Group Live, Jason Bradley, Juancha Kim, and I discuss some of the biggest challenges we faced in our shooting and how we worked through them. After the paywall, Juancha, Jason, and I discuss testing flashlights on our guns since they are now allowed in USPSA. We discuss the positives, the negatives, and if we plan to use them on our competition guns. Welcome to Training Group Live, your home for all things practical shooting. So make ready, it's time to train. Welcome to Training Group Live. Today, I have two very special guests, Mr. Quanchit Kim. Hi. We also call the professor and Jason Bradley. Hi. <laughs> Who is not a professor, but he's still very smart. Uh, guys, I'm not going to lie. I've been looking forward to talking to you guys all day. Uh, and I appreciate you both taking time out to share your experience and wisdom. Um, I started a thread in the podcast section of the forum training group. And it was just like to request if members have a topic they'd like us to talk about. And we have a couple really, really excellent questions that I want to dig into because I think there's a lot to talk about. Okay, the first one. Here's a question. I'd like to hear about some of the biggest challenges or how some of the top shooters had some kind of hurdle in their game along the way and how they worked to overcome it. Maybe a streak of bad matches or a certain technique or training methods that had to be adjusted. This is well, actually a great question, I think. It is a very good question. Mr. Kim, yes. would you like to go first, sir? Yes, of course. Uh, so there are the hurdles, he said. Uh, mm -hmm. Definitely, uh, there's a lot. Uh, some are small, some are big. Uh, some are straight, straight to technique or skill related. Uh, some are some mental related. Uh, some are life related. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, I, I won't try to go everything because it's going to take hours. Uh, but let me actually go like each, at least one each. So let's go with the skill technique related first. Uh, so for me... Mm, Right off the bat, my goal was immediately a Grandmaster. The very first match I shot, uh, there was Grandmaster in the local match I, I saw. And I was like immediately, oh, I want to be that person. And then I heard about national championship and world championship. And my goal was immediately, I want to be world champion. So I was uh, going over materials from uh, top shooters, world champions, like Ben had you know books out at the time. So my goal at the time was to hit the times. Basically, uh, I want to look like them. I want to have a same pace like them. And just following, you know, like part times and actually, you know, moving like them, that's uh, shown from the videos. Uh, those, I think it didn't take too long of a time to figure that out because it's, it's shown. I can see match videos and then I see what they do. Uh, splits and movement speed, etc. So I was able to uh, mimic them pretty quickly. But then there was a time where I was focusing on that visible part and neglecting what's actually going on. For example, what what their vision is doing or how the hand tension is, how the recoil is behaving, all those kind of details that's not shown through the video. Uh, and then I started actually uh, developing 
my own drills like measurement drill, confirmation drill, designated target drills, all that kind of stuff, track DAs on one of my favorites, uh, to actually focus on the process part rather than the vis visual part or visible part, I should say. So actually breaking down the skills was definitely helpful to make my skills uh, even higher. There was, I, I plateaued at one time because my recoil, I gripped the shit out of the gun at the time, like 2017, <laughs> until 2017. My hands were bleeding sometimes, uh, gripping the shit out basically, like trying to squeeze oil out of it. But <laughs> yes, uh, 2018 was the year I started having yearly goals. So the whole entire 2018 was about recoil management. So I broke it down to multiple segments not just thinking in terms of grip. Now I'm thinking in terms of how I need to be gripping and uh, also how the joints should behave, how the stance should be, how I should return, relaxation, tension, those individual sectors, breaking down a skill to ramp up one small segment really gave me a boost. Because there's a time where you think you're doing you know, same time, you're nailing 0.7 draw, or you can split 0.2 seconds at five yards. However, the pattern may be sporadic. You may be uh -huh. using the entire A zone, but maybe not having a good group size, if that makes sense. Yep. So as I am developing, changing my mind from result orient to process orient, and specifically breaking things down into small segments actually helped me. Hey, I actually had good tension on my hand or a good grip press pressure force i had good force however my positioning was wrong and i was gripping in a wrong direction if that's the um, example and i'm tweaking small things and small things so this advice is something that everybody in their shooting uh, may go through especially if you want to be in you know grandmaster level shooter then you will one day have to break things down to more small segments and find out which small segment you are lacking the most and then improve. And that's going to give you the most rewarding. So that breaking analysis, actually, uh, it's not really developing a specific skill, but rather it's actually a training-related uh, plateau I had. So the training change actually helped me develop better skills. And then in terms of mental, uh, Let's talk about not mental in terms of uh, my emotion, but mental in terms of how I approach uh, to execute better. Uh, there was a 2017, uh, I was really focusing on uh, being able to do things on demand. Uh, or I should say, if I want to use my 100% skill in practice at matches, because that wasn't happening. Uh, I was developing a lot of habits, uh, necessarily maybe good habit or bad habit, uh, one example is I was shooting production at the time and I was reloading every time I was moving out. Every time I exit the position, I was reloading in practice. Mm -hmm. And then that was actually a bad habit in a way, good and bad. Good, yes, because my reload was awesome. At the time, I was nailing sub-second reload, very nice. However, I was reloading in a place I shouldn't be by habit. Yeah, so, sure. Yep. Yes, that got me mad. I was like, why do I reload over here? I didn't plan to. So I started realizing hey, I, I developed so many habits. Some people call it like subconscious skill, whatever, but I call it habits. And I had so many habits. So like I'm drawing a 0.7 second speed all the time. 
no matter what, those kind of habits. And I started realizing, hey, habits, no matter if I think it's good habit or not, at times, it's not going to be a good habit because I'm doing it out of no, not knowing it. So I decided, hey, I'm going to develop just one habit and I'm going to remove all the others, which was I decided to develop a habit to properly walk through and execute it, whatever I did in the walkthrough or visualize. That was the only habit I wanted to uh, maintain and everything else just no, gone. I'm going to not do anything habitual. So I started doing walkthrough and visualization in my practice the whole year in 2017. Um, so basically it's the same process at a match or in my practice. I would do some kind of visualization or walkthrough like I may have arms up without a gun and then I would have a buzzer and then actually try to execute whatever I did the walkthrough. Uh, now it's a little bit different situation because I developed the ability to memorize my walkthrough or visualization very quickly. So I don't need to go through every single time, but still on the cold run, I would do it before the first run of the drill or first run of the stage or match, uh, basically unifying the process in the match and also in practice. So that's a mental skill, brain skill, I should say. Being able to quickly spot what you have to do in the walkthrough and memorizing as quick as possible. As if you go to a school and you do plus minus with fingers first, and then the more you do, you don't need to use your fingers too much and you're more natural, quicker kind of thing. So that's a skill that has to be developed. Some shooters who shot 10, 20 years may not need this because they did walkthrough so many times at matches already. However, I didn't have time to wait for 10 years because I, I started shooting at age of 26 and my goal in order to achieve that I wanted to do it at least in 30s and I don't have like 10 20 years like other shooters had because they started earlier kind of thing mm -hmm. so that's skill that I actually uh, put emphasis on and that was a really big um, performance boost just by being able to execute uh, that was higher reward then having my skill a lot higher and being able to move fastest, let's, let's say I became Usain Bolt and I can do splits, everything the perfect. However, if I, if I execute wrong, that's gonna be worse performance than actually having a little bit less skills but able to execute at a higher level. So that was my uh, biggest boom, uh, 2016. Yeah, that was excellent. Can, we, can, we can I ask you questions about that just for a second? Yeah, that was really, really good. OK, uh, so to summarize what you just said, correct me if I'm wrong, is as opposed to being the very fastest drawer, the fastest reloader guy, the best at one specific. Your goal was just let me use the skills I have the best I can in a match without mm -hmm. doing anything dumb and just put it together. I don't have to have the fastest draw, but you want to be good at everything and just use your skills in the context of a match. Is that correct? That's correct. That's really deep. And that's actually very, very smart. So Thank I, I want to jump in real quick about this. Mm -hmm. I tell new shooters that all the time. I said the biggest, I tell them the biggest thing you can do to see your, your performance go up is to whatever you decide you're going to do on this stage, execute it like you decide, like you decide it. Mm -hmm. Program it, visualize it, program it, and, and then have that play out. That's going to be way better than you pulling the trigger super fast every time. Yes. Yeah, sorry for the interruption, but that was really, really good. I like that a lot. Just like one small note about it. 
is as I was doing walkthrough, what I uh, what I learned is as I'm doing walkthrough run and then try to execute that, I uh, if I make a mistake, for example, draw mistake, my grip was all wrong kind of thing, then the next run, I may repeat it, but with another walkthrough run in between and fix the issue in the walkthrough. What that does is if you actually notice yourself at a match, you're doing walkthrough and actually you notice, hey, that, that was actually not the right positioning. But a lot of people will just go through it. But in that case, I will do another walkthrough run and fix the issue in the walkthrough. What's that doing is I'm actually not shooting the first time after the buzzer. I am shooting it in the walkthrough or going through the correct motions, fixing the issues in the walkthrough. By the time I have the buzzer and actually shoot it, I fixed all the issues already in the walkthrough. So that was one of the big gain too. I like that a lot also. Thanks. And then the live related huddle uh, was actually, uh, I, um, the obsessive characteristic, I have some obsessive characteristics. So I am diving into one thing and really like not resting kind of thing. Uh, so. Once I got married, uh, my wife was watching me being pretty obsessive, or I should say not letting myself rest enough. Mm -hmm. And then 2017, I was burned out. That's the first and only time so far that I was seriously considering quitting shooting. And my wife came to me and said, hey, you need to rest. You need to have a mandatory rest. So that's when wife and I talked in more detail and also I had a physical trainer uh, they, we all agreed hey we're gonna do a three plus one system so what it is is three days training and one day off and so on uh, and also we have quarterly week off so in first quarter second quarter I you know choose a week that I'm not traveling then hey that week I'm taking a week off I'm not training uh, just maybe play a computer game or just chill take my wife out uh, having resting time. And I think resting time is not only important for the skill growth, but also it is important to have you motivated and stay in the game for the long term. Yes. Mm -hmm. Man, smart stuff. That's going to be uh, yeah. tough to top, Mr. <laughs> Bradley. Yeah, I, I think I'm just done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close my laptop and go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I liked all that. Um, Me too. And I agreed with all that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, if I could say something maybe to not to add or be different, but um, so I feel like this question was asked from someone who was me a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so you're going to have to kind of, I've got this new word that's it's, it's kind of on my mind lately and it's just grind. Um, you're going to have to grind through it and know that um, any obstacle that's in your way, whether or not, like, let's say you're you're having a problem with penalties at matches. Like, we've all had that problem. Mm -hmm. Okay? Y you may move on from that problem, which I think you will, and that, that you know, that solution might be um, maybe being more um, realistic with what you're supposed to do on the stage instead of just pulling the trigger now because that's what you want to do, realizing that, hey, that target takes more, uh, requires a different... Sight picture and trigger press, and it's going to feel slower, right? Okay, so there's that. There's that obstacle. Then the next obstacle is, um, I don't know, what's an obstacle, guys? Uh, trying too hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right? that was what I was going to talk about. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so, well, guess what? You're going to have to then come back and, and and then go. 
I've just got to go out and focus on one thing at a time and not try um, to go faster and just hope I hook up. Now, hmm. another thing I'd like to say is everything's a process. And, and Kim was saying process a couple times in there. And so, like, the, the thing about the targets was, is, hey, this target requires a different sight picture and a different trigger pull. That's a process. So think, same thing when you want to go out there and you're, you're trying to push too hard, and that means go faster and you just hope that you hook up. But you, you know over here in this target engagement that you probably got a couple shots that don't hit, don't hit in brown because you were probably swinging when you were pulling the trigger, and you just, you're hoping, right? That's what you see when you see guys walking over there real quick. Um, again, you didn't trust the process. The process was just do it and ignore everything else. So my whole point to all that was is there's all, once you get past one obstacle, you're going to probably have another one and probably have another one. And I, like, I don't feel like I'm obstacle-free right now. Um, now, last year, there was a small time in the year where I was feeling on fire. Um, and it was somewhere between after Area 3 and the next match I shot. And I remember going out there, and I'm just like, man, I just cannot be stopped right now. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, it, was, it, was the, it was the best feeling I ever had. And I was like, no matter what I put up here, I'm, I'm just, I can do it. Now, there was something I just had, was in the way. I just hadn't been in that area of, the, of the, my shooting, right? So, um, of course, then I started having a problem with my shoulder, and that was an obstacle. So there was, there's always something. You're going to have an obstacle. Like right now, uh, I'm just trying to work on the next thing. I've tried to figure out maybe what needs to be the hot to- focus, hot topic. Um, I don't want to say low-hanging fruit, but that's really what it is right now. Or the, 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 what's my strength that needs to be sharpened the most? I don't want to say weakness, but, you know. So my whole point to all this is, I'm going to say it again, is you're always going to have an obstacle. So get used to having an obstacle and getting through it. And then once you get through it a few times, you're going to be like, okay, I'll just treat this next thing like the last thing. I, I, there's going to be times when you're not going to feel like you're going to get through it. You, you're going to question, man, am I ever going to, am I ever going to get through this? Like these guys make it look so easy, right? You know? And so just get in there and grind through it and um, remember how you stuck, stuck it out and be prepared to do it again on the next thing. Man, that's a tough act to follow guys. Um, I have a couple specific, like you guys said, uh, I was not naturally great. I did start in D class. I was in D class for only a couple matches, C class a little bit. And then I finally made to B class. I don't know what the exact time frame was, but I was in B class for a long time. Breaking out of B class was extremely tough. And like what Jason said was there's always going to be some obstacle. Maybe it's a bigger obstacle. Maybe it's a smaller obstacle. At the time, they all seemed like really big obstacles. Yeah. Um, and then my, my biggest problem was breaking the rules of traditional marksmanship because I did not want to do that. I wanted to see, you know, equal height, equal light, so to speak. Uh, and what I basically did was just go fast and see what happens. So I used to be a really deliberate shooter. I could, I mean, I could, in B class, I could basically hit any shot. It could be a partial at 25 yards. I will get the hits. It's going to be slow, but I can hit everything. Steal, one for one. I'm not doing standing loads. I'm not going to slide lock. I'm hitting everything, but it's all too slow. I get to a position, I post up. I'm not shooting coming in or leaving positions. You know, you get the idea. So uh, I basically, I would just go reckless in my shooting, uh, maybe coloring outside the lines is a different way to say it. And that was huge in breaking through a plateau I had. 
but it also got a lot worse, maybe short term before it got better. Because when I was going crazy, I found out I had some good results, but then I also went too crazy, you know, sometimes. So in all those, it's not like it was just, I, I found this magic, I needed this one magic skill, you know, uh, I'm a video gamer, so it's easy to talk about, I guess, but like if you're playing any of the Zelda games, like Ocarina of Time, you're in this dungeon, and there's this one, there's this one weapon that you need, and that's going to beat the boss in that dungeon. All you have to do is just get to that, and like that gives you the level up, and you're like, you're ready to whoop on the boss, right? But like shooting's not like that. It's not like I just magically found this one little man. All I had to do was just move my thumb to this place or, oh, all I needed was just this one little. It doesn't work like that. And so like in a lot of my shooting, it did get worse, but I was learning. And then over a process, you know, it got better. Um, So I think breaking like traditional marksmanship and just trying new things, experimenting is really, really good. If you get to a spot where you're, you know, you feel like I don't know what I don't really know what to do next. I don't know how to get better. Um, and then the second thought that came to mind, uh, was just dealing with pressure. Pressure is huge. It doesn't matter if you're in B class or you're, if you're a, you know, he- one of the heavy hitters in a M or GM, you know, classification. Um, I mean, honestly, I would put so much pressure on myself that I'd be shaking or just a nervous wreck at the match. I would imagine a perfect match in my mind because I knew what a perfect match would look like. And then I'd be disappointed if it didn't happen. And I, you know, kind of through a process, I learned no one else really cared. You know, everybody's worried about their own performance. Are my mags loaded? What am I going to do for my run? Yeah, I mean, people watch you shoot, but they're not going to get, they don't, they're not, they don't care as much as you care. And that was all pressure I brought with me that I realized I was putting that on myself because I really care. I really want to do well. And so that kind of just, it it just turned into a problem. Um, So if anyone's in that situation, which of course, Nobody listening to this would be in that situation. <laughs> uh, but hypothetically, if you were, some stuff that really helped me was being accountable all the time. And I had someone with me in practice. So for a while, just I'd always have somebody shooting with me in practice. And I couldn't mess up because they would see me if I messed up. And then I would just kind of learn, like, hey, it's going to be okay. People are watching me shoot. I'll just hit the targets. And I kind of just, that, that was anyway really helpful for me, just always having somebody shoot as opposed to um, being in practice on my own. And if it went, cool if it went great i could post on instagram if it went poorly you know I just walk down and patch the targets i was like oh nobody sees that no big deal mulligan um so adding accountability was huge for me and then uh by doing that i was putting myself in high pressure pressure situations more often because i was in practice people were watching me shoot like i said so i'm i'm feeling that kind of pressure more often um and then not trying to go 110 percent looking back there were some stages where as opposed to just roll shoot, roll through, shoot the targets uneventfully, I thought, man, I'm going to hit all these stages out of the park. You know, I'm going to shoot 110% of my ability, which obviously is impossible to do. And then it's just a matter of time until you have problems. And then along with that, understanding it won't be perfect. No one shoots a perfect match. And that sounds like at the time, I'm like, yeah, whatever. But tell that to Dave Savigny or Bob Vogel that just knocked the back out of this stage. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, like, through talking, you know, like, the heavy hitters like you guys were talking to Ben, no matter what, if, you know, winning a national champ, the guy winning a national championship still like, yeah, on stage three, I had that makeup shot. I wish I wouldn't have had, oh, my grip wasn't quite right off this draw. Like no matter the, what level these guys are at, you know, the people I've always looked up to, they aren't, to me, it maybe looks like a perfect match, but to them, it definitely wasn't. And so I just had to kind of realize that, well, it's not gonna be perfect. And maybe the size of the errors change based on my skill level. 
But, you know, maybe it's bigger errors when I'm at a lower skill level. Maybe it's more minor things as I get better. Um, but anyway, realizing those points was really, really helpful to me. I want to share one advice. One of yes. the advices I gave PSTG members a lot. Yeah. It's stop criticize, just analyze. I like that. And put your value in learning, not results or, um, I forgot. Yeah, not in the result. Yeah. That really changes a lot. Like putting your value in learning versus uh, seeking placement on a match or something like that. That can change your learning ability and also the emotion side as well. Uh, I really like don't criticize, analyze. Would you give me an example of kind of how that would play or just a, a for instance, by the way, if you would? Yes. I personally believe this is uh, what people go through. Like no matter what, if you have a goal in your shooting, making GMA class, whatever, everybody will go through this where you are expecting yourself to shoot, for example, uh, two and a half seconds, four aces. Mm -hmm. And now you are having a fumble reload and you give a big F word and throw the magazine <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> yes. I, mean, I don't know if everybody had you know, make throwing, but I no. personally have of tried. Course. None of us I mean, have ever thrown a temper tantrum okay. at the range. You're the only Not, one ever. Yes. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> so when there is that emotional um, attack, when mm -hmm. you are failing to produce a result, uh, that's you start to criticize. And instead of that, just analyze what the pattern was, where the mistake was happening, and what you need to break down to make that, for example, more consistent or faster or tighter group, whatever it is. Uh, just start analyzing without criticism. And then put your value in learning. Even at matches, too. And that's going to really help you to stay in the game uh, you have open-mindedness, which is very important thing. Uh, this is just simply, yeah. I, I, like I learned it. this through being a Christian. <laughs> I was a missionary one time. I remember you saying definitely, that. Thank you. Definitely, this helped me to actually have good relationship with uh, broad, uh, broad people. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, totally different side of people. I was in the military too, so there was like a melting pot. And this uh, also, this not only helps learning ability, but also relationship as well. That is very deep, actually. Yeah, that's why Quanchik can get along with it. But you could say him down with anybody <laughs> and he would strike up a conversation. So that makes sense. Uh, like well, it. guys, I had a second question to ask you, but since uh, I think that's all we got time for today. So I have to do my corporate duty and do the paywall thing now uh, because I'm sure nobody would want to listen to uh, talking about flashlights on production and carry optics. Guns. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's not like a, not a hot topic right now. So anyway, after the paywall, uh, I'm going to grill these guys on their initial impressions of flashlights on production and carry optics guns, benefits, uh, reasons maybe you don't want to run a light and uh, some final thoughts. So anyway. That'll be up after this. Welcome back to Training Group Live. I am still sitting down with Professor Kim and Jason. Guys, I have got a topic. I, this is actually fun because we haven't really talked about this yet. Um, I want to talk about flashlights on production and carry optics guns. What you guys think? Good idea, bad idea, what you've learned. Um, 
Wanchik posted a video on Training Group that I, I really enjoyed watching. It was just kind of you talking about, you know, some pros, some cons. But I think since then, Jason's done some shooting with a light, and I have two. So uh, anyway, I want to dig in and see what you guys think about it, because it's obviously a hot topic, and people are deciding right now if they should be changing their gear, leaving it the same, or, you know, direction for the year. So uh, I guess just to start off, guys, what's your initial impressions? Uh, Professor, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, initial impression. So, first of all, uh, I was more focused on the recoil mitigation side, but I started realizing there are actually more benefits than the recoil mitigation. Uh, so, one, the first time I've ever put the flashlight on for the competition guns, uh, it was on the steel frame SF. And I also tried in a Shadow 2, and then I started shooting with a uh, plastic gun. So on the PDP, Walther, and Glock, those two are the next guns. Uh, when I first shot with a steel frame gun, I just didn't like it. Uh, mm -hmm. First in carry optics, having 23 rounds, and also I have a brass base pack. So I, I have a chunk of load uh, on my hands anyways. And that having four ounce wasn't making much of a difference. And also when I shot with a weak hand, uh, it felt heavy. Like I did not like it because a lot more weight added to it. Uh, I don't think there's any stages that are, you know, 20 plus round count with weekend only. However, I just feel like I'm not going to be, you know, practicing weekend a lot with that flashlight mm -hmm. because of the weight reasons. Um, and I really didn't see much of a benefit in recoil mitigation in a like 50 plus ounce gun. Like uh, 45 ounce is my, uh, you know, with an empty mag, but with a breast base pad and all that 23 rounds, it's a lot heavier than that. But when I shot plastic gun, definitely uh, both hand shooting, there wasn't much difference. Uh, same group size. Uh, although when I shot measurement drill, um, I felt a little bit, uh, difference in the return part, but this is so minuscule. Uh, when I actually shoot, I don't notice with both hands shooting. So same group uh, group size and the feel is somewhat similar, not too drastic. Mm -hmm. uh, however, one-handed shooting was the biggest difference I've had. Definitely uh, in a video too, definitely less flip. And also, that. yes, uh, especially with the weekend, uh, it felt a lot more steady. Uh, but one thing I want to mention ab about both hand shooting, though, is when I shot iron sight, almost nearly zero difference how the uh, sights behave in recoil. However, mm -hmm. red dot was a little bit different. I felt like the red dot was less shaky side to side. It was pretty uh, clean dot movement. Not to the point it's still frame, but it's similar. I would say it's in between the plastic and the still frame. So the dot was cleaner up and down, but again, the return is still, I can do it precisely. Uh, and then two other things that I really try to pay attention to is first actually uh, gun handling stuff. So like holster draw kind of thing, but another one is opening the port with it. I've actually seen this in an IPSC match. So that's why I shared on the video. Mm -hmm. Uh, in some European matches, I tend to see a window port that has a uh, block and you have to push it open. That's pretty common in European IPSC matches. And 
uh, I saw a lot of people uh, in limited division or open gun. Uh, they have a compensator, right? They use the tip of the gun to punch it open. Mm -hmm. uh, I've tried that, not in a match, in practice, with my um, Q5 non-steel frame. A non-steel frame has a shorter dust cover, so when I punch it, it the slide goes back and the bullet's out of battery, causing mm -hmm. malfunction. Right. And even, even with my steel frame with the long dust cover, if I punch it in a wrong angle, it'll still knock the battery uh, bullet out of the battery. So I had, if I do, I had to use like a dust cover bottom side to open it. So I just gave it up. I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to risk anything. Just use the other hand kind of thing. So that can be a little bit beneficial. Uh, in US, we don't see that much of push open windows. Uh, perhaps doors, yes. Uh, however, I don't think door takes a time to you know keep it open. So you can get the grip back up, but window just flops open really fast. So in the case, if you have a complete grip and open the window, you have an advantage there. And then the last one is the actual function of the light. I actually practiced, not extensively, just a day, uh, both Ironside and the red dot. Uh, I try both lower light, medium light, and high light. Uh, in a high light, there's no difference. The, it's washed out. Uh, in a lower light, uh, basically it's not completely dark. It's just in my room, it's relatively dark uh, with one light up. So kind of things are dimmed down. In that case, I saw that illumination is very disturbing, especially in target transitions or position entry. Uh, basically when the vision's on the target first and the gun is coming up. When I have the vision on the target, the target's dim. When the flashlight comes up, it brightens out. My eyes are dilating, so definitely that's disturbing. Uh, it's, it becomes really bright, and it takes a little bit of seconds to uh, eyes adjust to see the specific spot. So I hated it. However, in a uh, iron sight situation uh, where the fiber will not glow like uh, under the sun or anything, so if you are shooting outside and then you have a story, you go into a house like Florida definitely has that. Uh, in that kind of situation, I had a uh, experience a couple of times having, you know, the fiber color changing because I was shooting outside. Now I go inside. The fiber is very dim. Mm -hmm. In that case, having the flashlight on will actually have the front side and the rear side uh, really dark. So it's like as if you're shooting a without a fiber optic, but it, it's going to give you very clean outline of the front side and the rear side. Yes. So in that case, I kind of liked it. So in a situation like that, I can see actually having the flashlight on. I don't know how the USPSA rule set will be changing about that. Because I heard uh, some written description can dictate whether you can use it or not. So that can be a somewhat beneficial. But for red dot, uh, using the light in general was a no-go. Interesting. Okay. Uh, well, we got a lot to talk about. Jason, give me your initial impressions. Uh, so my initial impressions are essentially the same. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. I didn't, I've not tested a light, uh, shooting with a light in low light conditions. So I, I don't have anything to say about that. I am completely speculating here, but I don't imagine they're going to allow weapon mounted lights to be on in any dark shoot house because there's going to be people out there that don't have them 
Yeah. And now you've offered an unfair advantage. Yes, everybody. That can, was my thought too. Everybody can have one, but not everybody's going to run one. And then I think you know, typically the way it goes, the squeaky wheel gets the the grease. So that's kind of where we're at. My guesstimate on that. Now I guarantee you, somebody somewhere will be like, "Well, you should have put one on your gun." So <laughs> okay, it will happen. I don't think it's going to happen that much. Even in, I mean, even in the places that have the the places that will accommodate low lights. Okay, I didn't think the recoil when I first when I first shot one, I was like, well, I can feel something, but I don't know what it is. And initially, I kind of like, well, I think I like this, but I also haven't been hadn't at that time been shooting a lot for the year yet. Uh, I went out three or four times, shot with the light, shot several hundred rounds without the light, and then the exact same gun sitting there ready to go that just doesn't have the light on it so able to compare them right you know next to each other i can tell a little difference and i agree exactly with what wansik says that it does for somehow seem to mitigate some of the little bit of left and right dot movement but i don't care i don't care the dot comes back to me i'm going to be going and I, <laughs> i'm not going to run one right now i don't plan watch me Everybody's going to see me running one in like two months. <laughs> so I don't want to say that for sure, but like I don't plan on running one. Um, I just didn't, and I didn't, now I didn't, I'm going to go out this weekend and try it left and right handed, but that's mm -hmm. probably not going to change my, um, it's not. Because how often do you shoot weak and strong hand? And my whole thing was, and Ben kind of made fun of me, but I don't know anyone that has drawn their gun. How many times do you think we draw the gun in a, in a year? From dry fire, live fire, and matches? Thousands. 20,000 times? I don't know. Plus, minus. Six, plus or minus, right? I think yeah. it's about that much. And then we Maybe. fire 30,000 to 50,000 rounds. I don't think these lights are going to hold up to that. That thought had crossed my mind also. And so, you know, in like home, Ben's like, well, you put it on your gun for home defense. I was like, yeah, but. I don't shoot that gun. <laughs> right. And, and so um, I don't want to have to also have a backup. Cause, and you have to have the exact same light because it, a different light won't fit in the holster, uh -huh. on the gun in the holster. So you got to have a back. Another thing you can have a backup of. And, um, you know, there's not – right now I have not seen anything. Of course, I haven't even shot a match this year. So, But I, I just don't see any reason – um, to put it on my gun. Everybody's so worried about weight and recoil mitigation. And yeah, that's nice. Don't get me wrong. But another thing I already had realized was, is I already shoot a light gun. Mm -hmm. There's already people out there shooting heavier guns. If you want a heavier gun, go shoot a heavier gun that didn't bother you before. So why would not having a light bother you? Mm -hmm. And it, now saying that if I put it on there and it was like, so I've shot Glocks with the SJC frame weight on it. And mm -hmm. that like that thing's like nine ounces, right? So it's more than right. double, and it does that does matter. Like I can definitely tell a difference with that. So if that was like this, or if this was like that, then maybe I'd run one. And you know, I'm even I've I've even thought of well, get an SJC frame weight, drill down in it, put a little pin light or something in there, sure, and and make it hokey, man. But then it's like something's gonna break, and the moment the RO sees that thing fly across, you know, or a part fly across, they're going like, to demonstrate that that light works. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? What's going to happen if on the draw they see part of it fly, you <laughs> shoot the stage, they say, demonstrate your light works. And it doesn't work, and they're like, bumped open. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I don't know. That's, that's, my, that's where I'm at on it. 
All right. Well, here's just, my. What's oh, sorry? Sorry. One no, clarification no. for me is all the testing was done in nine millimeter. So if somebody is shooting forty cal major, that may be a little bit more um, advantageous, maybe, mm -hmm. compared to not having flashlight at all. But in that case, why do you bother having a flashlight? Just put SJC on it or something. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, you guys make good points. Uh, so for my testing, I tried really hard to ignore anything the internet told me. And I thought I would just go to the range and shoot. And uh, I used the same pistol the whole time. And then I had, uh, I had like, I don't know, six uh, carry optics mags. They're holding like 22, 23 a piece. I had those loaded. Um, and then I would shoot a drill without and then add the light and then I'd shoot some with the light and remove it and then, you know, shoot without and kind of try to see if I could tell a difference in the targets and my feel. Uh, I wanted to remove the draw from being a variable. So I started the gun at low ready and I had a picture perfect grip. It could not be any better uh, when I started the drill because I wanted to eliminate that variable. Um, I did some marksmanship fundamentals drills like doubles and practical accuracy. And then I did some, I suppose like like target transition, more of like a target array you would see in a field course. Um, the things I noticed really quickly is when I was just holding the gun, yeah, I could feel that, that muzzle heavy feel, I suppose. But once I started shooting, I kind of tried to like convince myself at the range one way or the other, yes, this is really helping. No, it's really not. When I was shooting practical accuracy, I agree with you guys. I thought the dot tracked a little bit differently, and it seemed like it was maybe more cleanly, like it didn't bounce as much left to right. And I shot a couple times. There was a couple uh, strings I shot that were, I mean, literally perfect. The bullets are just all stacking on top of each other, and I thought, man, this light is the ticket. Look at these Look at these groups. And I do it again, prove it to myself I can do it again. Well, then... You know, I do a little bit of shooting. Later, I shot the same drill without the light, and I shot an even better group. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, well, I don't know. And and then I kind of thought, well, maybe I'm just getting better with this gun. I'm getting more practice. Uh, I was shooting my Glock, I should mention, the whole time, my Carry Optics Glock. So with a red dot on an, uh, an SRO. And, I mean, honestly, I couldn't convince myself one way or the other that one was really better or worse. Uh, the other thing I noticed, we talked about balance a little bit. I really like shooting the stock, too. Uh, my tinfolio for production because of how it's really weighted kind of a neutral balance it doesn't really feel muzzle heavies like the the stock three or the shadow two feel and i noticed when i put the light on the front of this it felt more muzzle heavy and i actually really like having a gun that just feels balanced like the weight's not really all on one side or the other so i mean like we kind of like what you guys are saying i tried to convince myself i was at the range like hey this does make a big difference i'm gonna prove it now and then i really couldn't and then I thought, I'm going to prove to myself this doesn't matter. And then I really couldn't. Like, I, I went back and forth the whole. And I'd probably done maybe three or four range trips like this. So, yeah, I mean, like, I would say that us being competitive shooters, we want to find that next thing that's going to sure. give us an edge. So, Absolutely. trust me, I wanted this to be something. Mm -hmm. and, and, it's, and I've even had to kind of scratch my head and question, like, okay, like I had a Glock 24 that I was shooting when I was shooting limited for a brief period of time in like 2018. Um, I had a, an Atlas Titan and a Glock 24. And to me, that Glock 24 had less muzzle rise than the Atlas Titan did. Now, let's also talk about something else. Your skill level is depend, depend, uh, 
your your perception is based on your skill level. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to change. And um, so, because it's crazy to me that that Glock sat there didn't seem to rise as much as that Atlas Titan when that Atlas Titan was was that was a one of the that gun was awesome. But um, so when I put when I'm like, well, that's four ounces out at the very front of the gun. How is it not going to be significant? It seems like it should be. It seems like it should be, and I I can't rationalize it or explain it away. But um, now, if I could guarantee that there would never be a problem, that that thing would never hang up on me, it would never break, it would never cause me to get bumped open, it would never slow anything down. I mean, first of all, you'll get used to anything. So if the gun, uh-huh. if a gun feels a certain way to you when you first pick it up, because you're used to shooting X gun and you pick up Y gun and it feels different, give it a month of hardcore practice of and, and only with that gun, you'll get used to it. Um, but so, but like I said, if, if, if I could guarantee that it would never cause me a negative thing, I'd probably put it on there just, just cause like, well, it can't hurt anything, but I, I don't think that's the case. And I don't think it is obvious enough to my head and my hands to feel any different. For me, in terms of like shooting certain group in doubles drill, basically recoil management, I don't think in terms of how much it flips, I think in terms of the return. Mm-hmm. So even if it flips more than the other gun, uh, if you just return within the time constrict, meaning you're shooting 0.2 second splits, for example, what you should be worrying about is just returning, um, yeah, returning accurately. And... I really think in our sport, there's no gun flips high enough to not be able to return within that 0.2 second splits. And 0.2 second split is like the, you know, go to fast splits, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt what? you, but uh, I agree with that 100% because I've also tried to explain to people, quit, and I was just saying the, the what I would usually tell people to quit doing. Um, we're all focused on the muzzle rise, right? But mm-hmm. I've, I've t- in this discussion over the last couple of weeks, I've told people, who cares how much the gun rises, right? Of course, it's nice to have a gun, to go pick up a gun that just doesn't seem to move at all, right? Because it just mm-hmm. gives you that feeling of that you're just railing on it, right? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Of course, people don't then realize maybe the gun dips more. Um, but the other thing I was going to say is I also shot a new gun. That is, uh, it's the Walther PDP, the 4.5 inch. Mm-hmm. That gun is so light in your hand, it feels like a toy. 25 ounce. It is, it is, it is crazy how light that – it feels fake. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that gun, I shot it, and that gun returned probably – I was railing on targets with that gun with .13, splits with ease, and it was coming right back. Now, okay – there's also something to consider, you know, one six confirmation drill. I mean, some of that is just you're doing a lot of that, right? So the gun doesn't just go up and then return right back to it to zero. I know people. There's out there people that say that there's something like that, but the gun comes up. You have to kind of move it back down, right? And that's kind of your um, your um, the timing and that and the muscle memory, whatever you would. Wants yeah, recoil management. Yeah, Re- Ron's is going to explain it really well, but. Uh, that's you. Part of that is you. Half that's you. So, but anyways, so my whole point to all this was is that PDP, as light as it was, it it was it was I was actually really really impressed with that gun. But mm-hmm. so quit worrying about how flat the gun shoots. Yes. That, by worry the way, about, that's worry, worry about drill. practice. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's measurement yeah. drill. Measurement drill. Yeah, yes. uh, measuring how much flips and how much you need to return. Yeah, um, Wantic and I are going to really exploit this or experiment with this at the uh, summit. Uh, summit. He doesn't know yes. it. He doesn't know it yet, but he and I are <laughs> going to have some some time Let's on that it. drill. Yes. Uh, okay. So another thing I wanted to talk about was one thing I noticed with the Glock, like having it without the flashlight in my holster. It's so light. It's really easy just to whip the gun fast out of the holster and like loading the gun and just moving it around. It seems like it's so light. And I remember before that was one of the arguments for why guys liked the Glock 34 over the at the time, the SPO one shadow or shadow two or Tanfo. Like that was a that is the thing about the Glock. It is easy to load it faster. You can draw the gun. It feels like like with you know, requiring less effort because the gun's lighter. Um and so I don't know. That was one of the things I noticed when the gun, again, not having a holster for a light, but just starting from low ready, it was just I liked how light, lightweight the gun is, where I could just, you know, bring it up to the targets really effortlessly and loading it really effortlessly and moving around with it. It just didn't feel heavy. So that's um, the key right there. Those are the key words. Yeah. People always say, well, you can transition a light gun faster. I don't know if you could, you could, I, I would say you could transition the heavy gun just as fast. It just takes more energy. Right, so you have to muscle the gun more. You also mm-hmm. have to muscle the gun to stop it more. You could do it as just as fast, within reason, right? Yes. So. No, I agree completely. So anyway, I don't even have a conclusion to this. Uh, yeah, Wanchik talked a little bit about you know some benefits to running it, where you know maybe prop manipulation, whatever. But on my Glock 34, the light actually doesn't uh, extend past the muzzle. <laughs> oh. So. For a Glock 34, that doesn't even offer me the benefit. I mean, I would just be hitting the, like what you're talking about, the bottom side of the dust cover or the light on a port. Um, and then I also, I don't have any experience with a holster, a light-bearing holster, but I would think it'd be more points potentially to, to drag on since it is, you know, going to be wider, I suppose, towards the muzzle than getting it in and out of your holster without drawing or, you know, dragging, so to speak. I'm sorry, I misspoke, but um, it just seems like a lot of hassle. And to not see yes. a big a big difference at the range, again, maybe I'm just inexperienced, but I don't know. I couldn't I couldn't find enough to really to make it worth the the hassle. Yeah. So I I do have a holster for the light uh, made by Dinosaurs. Um, so my PDP has the light uh, coming out of the barrel, so longer than the barrel. And one time, what happened is uh, for me my regular Q5 holster has like the cut um, right around the ejection port. So I can have the gun out and also like rotate towards the target sooner. But when I tried that with the light, uh, light being a little bit longer, it got cut into the front side of the holster one time. It didn't fly out of my hand. But listening to Jason talking about, you know, light may not last there on the rail. And that holster, if you get a hang up, that's a very good reason to have that flashlight come off your rail. So what I did at the time was I would actually bring it straight up higher and then rotate. I didn't quite like that. Uh, it it kind of like you know one of the tactical uh, famous draw style where you bring it all the way up and kind of punch out. It wasn't to that point, but I was making sure the holster uh, or the light is completely out of the front guard of the holster. Uh, otherwise, you may get that hang up and potentially have the light come off or screw your grip off kind of thing. I agree. 
Yeah, I didn't work on any draws, so I'm, I was anxious to hear what y'all had to say about that. I had someone make me a holster, and uh, it didn't seem like it would drag. Of course, mine didn't stick out very far, so like on the PDP, it might stick out as much as a half an inch further. And the shorter your gun, the more the more it sticks out, right? So you're going to have more of that problem. But um, on some of the longer guns, and Joel, it's very interesting that the Glock 34, that that was a TRL-1 that you have on yours. Correct, yes. Um, that it doesn't even stick out. So it would clear the holster from that standpoint, mm -hmm. but I've also realized that with the lights on the gun, that's what's keeping the gun basically stationary in the holster. So like uh, my buddy Greg yeah. Yen made me a holster, and he um, when I took the light off and put the gun in there, I wanted to see if it was going to you know wobble, and it does. Mm -hmm. not, not much, but more than I would want to shoot a match and have it wobble. So that light definitely keeps it, from wobbling around uh, in that holster. So that's just more contact points to drag. I mean, I 100% I believe a guy could train through it. I mean, Vogel ran a light on his Glock, so mm -hmm. there you go. But as far as that goes, but um, I, I right now, and I only tried it with the gun I'm shooting currently, um, so I didn't try it on any other guns that I have, so I, I, I don't know, but I didn't see. I really wanted it to. Mm -hmm. I really did. I'm not going to lie. Just like Jason mentioned, uh, some holsters, uh, the retention is on the light. Mm -hmm. So I have three different holsters uh, for Glock, PDP, and uh, BBQ. And PPQ and Glock, that holster, actually retention is on that light. So if I put a gun without a light, it'll kind of fall inside the holster. Uh, however, the, the PDP holster made by the dinosaur, the T-Rex Arms one, is actually uh, retention on both sides. So I can still put the gun without a flashlight and have a retention. Or if there's a light, it's retention on both the muzzle side and the holster. So, uh, and the light. So m make sure you choose the right one. Definitely, yeah. I think if the retention is on the light, uh, you can definitely loosen things up on the light, in my opinion. Or yeah. at least scratch them, I don't know. Oh, no, you'll, you'll totally scratch them. Mm -hmm. Was it you, Joel, that was Arkinny? That Kenny's. was sending us pictures. So yeah, no, they're gonna. You're, you're. I mean, if you, my friend Kenny, yeah, I wore. I just wore like the finish off his light, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, it's gonna wear it off, and and you got to realize that that's gonna happen, just like it does on your guns. So yeah, I hope you know. But anyways, yeah. Um, I don't know. And kind of like closing thoughts. I know we're kind of wrapping this up. I would like to suggest that you can make yourself right <laughs> with either way that you want to tell yourself. And that was why I purposely, while I was at the range, I purposely told myself, this really makes a big difference. Watch, I'm going to prove it. And then I told myself 30 minutes later where I've got another, you know, 150 rounds loaded up in magazines. Hey, this doesn't make any difference. And now I'm going to prove it. I could make myself right both ways. So if you really think, man, if I don't get a flashlight on my gun, I'm going to, I, I don't stand a chance at winning anything. I probably can't even win a club match. Then you know if you if you really think you need one, go do it. And if you're thinking, man, I don't really I don't really buy into this. I don't think I need it. But everyone else is telling me, you know, that I need it. Either way, like I, I would just like to suggest you know make yourself right in either way, and uh, you know, give it a try for yourself. But uh, I was interested in what you guys would come up with because it sounds like you guys kind of mirrored the experience I had, where I could kind of take it or leave it. For those who are committed to using flashlight, my recommendation mm -hmm. is make sure you at least have two gun and one gun is only shot at matches. So the flashlight is not beat up kind of thing. 
and yes. the other gun, you shoot it in practice, not really caring about if the battery is dead or not. Just put a new battery before a match as a backup gun. So if you have one gun using a flashlight, you're just waiting for a disaster to be bumped mm -hmm. open or something fall off at the match kind of thing. Yeah, so I need a practice uh, gun, a practice optic, and a practice flashlight, and practice magazines. Like, you're just adding to the list, like what Kim's saying, just yeah. adding to the list of equipment that could possibly fail you. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's just one more thing to put on your match gun that you don't practice with. Yeah. And then have an identical practice gun set up. Yep. I like it. Well, guys, I don't know if we solved any of the world's problems, <laughs> uh, but there's definitely a lot to think about. So uh, anyway, I suspect members will have uh, questions. Of course, put them below. In closing, do you guys have anything else before uh, we call it a day? Nope. All right. Well, appreciate you guys coming on so much. Thank you for your time. And uh, of course, training group members, if you have questions, leave them below. And uh, who knows? Maybe by this time next month, we'll all be running flashlights and think you're uh, dumb if you don't have one. So <laughs> you never know. Thank you for listening to Training Group Live. Stay up to date at practicalshootingtraininggroup.com or pstg.us for short. If you have a question or a comment, head to the Training Group Live section of the forum. Remember, the best questions turn into show topics. If you aren't a member of PSTG, we hope today is the day we earn your subscription. And with that, Train frequently, train hard, but most of all, train smart.